Hello, and welcome to the White's Chapel Sermon Podcast. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen to our weekly sermons. This is a quick way to enjoy or even revisit a recent message. So friends, there is something that I need to share with you. I am excited to be in worship with all of you today, and I am especially excited because there's something strange that happens in December. Maybe a few of you have felt this way too. When the weather changes and the days are shorter, when my home is full of more decorations and lights than usual, there's one thing that I want to do, one thing more than anything else that I long to do at this time of year, nothing. I want to do nothing. I want to stay home, watch some well-loved movies, get some blankets on top of me, and not move until January. And yet, my calendar does not seem to be cooperating with the plan. And as I think about all the things that December tends to hold, the more events, the the presents to buy, the, the things to get together with people and do, I found that you can organize all of these things into two separate, very clear categories. Things that you get to do and things that you have to do. I can already tell a few of you are catching my meaning here because the holiday season is the perfect example. There are things we get to do and things we have to do. Most of us are invited to too many holiday parties. And as you know, as I'm sure you've already experienced, there are some you get to go to. There are some you have to go to. There are people that you get to buy presents for, and there are people that you have to buy presents for. And maybe most often, there are family members that you get to see. I have a few in our audience right now. And there are family members that you have to see. It's not y'all, you're good, you know that. And so when we think about what is the difference between those have-tos and get-tos, it might look different for each of us, which ones fall into which category, but what separates them is the same. It's joy. A have-to is a chore. It's something that you're gonna add to the end of your already very long list, something that you'll get to, that you will do, because you have to. A get-to, on the other hand, something that you take delight in, something that you look forward to, something that might fill you up long past whatever it is has ended. One of the get-tos of the season for me is that candlelit Christmas Eve service that we have every year. And something about standing together, holding up our candle, and singing Silent Night is a get-to. And when I leave, I am filled up with that moment long after those candles are blown out. And while that's a really good get-to, I've noticed that as I kind of take stock of all the get-tos and have-tos of this season of the year, there's a lot of have-tos. Like maybe more have-tos than get-tos. And over the last few years, whether through personal circumstances or or world news, it might seem like we are all people who have a lot of have-tos. And those have-tos have left a mark. They've made us a little more weary. 
And all of a sudden, somewhere along the lines, our world has become a place where it's hard to find a lot of those get-tos, where it's hard to find joy. And that's what we've been noticing through our Advent series this year. It's called A Weary World Rejoices. And as we get closer and closer to Christmas, we're reminded that the weariness that we can experience at this season and all across the year is not how things were meant to be. That as we light our Advent candles, we're saying that one of the gifts that Christ offers us is joy. So where is it? If we take stock of our have-tos and get-tos, and our have-tos are long, and our get-tos are few, where's the joy that we know that Christ brings? When we are filled with weariness, how do we find it? I think that's the answer that we find in our text for this evening. It comes from the Gospel of Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 45. So if you have your Bible or a Bible app on a cell phone, you're welcome to pull that out as we read along. And if you'll remember, over the last few weeks, we've been walking through the story of Christ's birth through the eyes of the Gospel of Luke. It began a few weeks ago as Zechariah was told by an angel that he and his wife Elizabeth would experience the miracle of having a child long past the time they thought they would be able to. And then we see as Elizabeth meets with Mary, someone who an angel has come to as well to tell of another miraculous pregnancy. And two weeks ago, we watched as Elizabeth is visited by her cousin Mary and the blessing that the mother of John the Baptist, Elizabeth, brings to the mother of Jesus, Mary. And for the first time, as we pick up in verse 46, we see Mary's response to all that God is doing in her life, to the blessing that seems to be overflowing. And this is what she says from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 46 through 56. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in their thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones. He has lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and then returned to her home. The response that Mary offers, I'm sure you might have heard before. It is one of the most famous parts of text in the Bible. You might have heard it called the Magnificat, which comes from the Latin translation of the first few words, my soul magnifies the Lord. And we've used these words over and over and over in our poetry, in our art, in our songs, all when we're trying to express that get to moment, when we're trying to express joy. And as we think about our own various have-tos and get-tos, our list of each one, 
I want us to go back together tonight and think about what makes this moment a get-to for Mary and see if we can find out how we can find more get-tos, more joy in our own lives. About one year ago, our young adult ministry studied the parents of Jesus. It was about this time and for a few weeks we took a deep dive into the lives of Mary and Joseph, to the angels that spoke to them, to the things they were asked to do, and their response. And I'll never forget how one of our young adults responded when we looked at the story of Mary. We were all seated together in Walton Chapel reading through this text, and she says, okay, remind me, what is a blessing again? And we talked about it. A debate sprang up. We talked about God's goodness, how it was good things in our lives, how it's meant to glorify God. And she says, okay. And how is this a blessing for Mary? Are we sure? And that might seem like a weird question. We just read Mary's song. It's full of joy. It's clearly a get to for her. But let's think about what it would mean for her to raise the Messiah. We know that Mary learns of her pregnancy before Joseph hears from the angel, that she's found to be pregnant before her fiance, her betrothed, knows that it comes from God. And so for a period of time, and we don't know how long it was, Mary, Mary very likely could have feared at the least for her relationship with her future husband, Joseph. And at the most, she would have been fearing for her life as someone found pregnant in a time before marriage. And even then, Joseph accepts her story, but the rest of her community won't. And for the rest of her life, she'll be pushed to the outside of her society. They'll spread rumors about her. They won't speak well of her and she will never be fully brought in again. And even then, she and Joseph will bear the burden of raising the Messiah. I know we have parents in the room. It's hard enough to raise your own child. The second guessing and the stress and the mistakes, now imagine all of the pressure of raising God's son. And then after that, Mary will watch her, her son grow in grace and wisdom, take up his calling, live out his life as the Messiah, and then she'll lose him in one of the worst ways imaginable on a cross on Calvary. That's what this blessing will mean for Mary. And I have to say, y'all, she's better than me. She takes a look at that list and still says, it's a get to. If I had one thing on that list, it's a have to. But what does she say? How does she respond? My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my savior. Her response is joy. In a situation that could have easily been marked as a have to, when she could have easily given into the weariness of all that this task would mean, 
she finds joy. Her faith coming to life and calling her to act is a get-to. So how does she do it? Living in a weary world, how do we follow her example? How do we live as people of joy? How do we look at what God is calling us to and see get-tos, not have-tos? I think Mary offers us two ways. The first is that we're invited to practice praise. I want us to turn back to the first few words of Mary's song. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me and holy is his name. Mary's song is often called a song of joy, and we can see why. But another easy way to describe it is a song of thanksgiving, a song of praise. From the very first moment, her response is marked by joy, by giving thanks to God. And it turns out this correlation between thanksgiving and joy is common. In the studies run by social scientists time after time again, they find the number one predictor of joy, the number one predictor of joy. It's not a zip code. It's not a certain car. It's not a house or a weight or a perfect Christmas. It's gratitude. And I know that you heard from Sam about a month ago, just before Thanksgiving, about how important gratitude is. Consider this your check-in. How you doing? For Dr. Brene Brown often lifts up this quote from a Jesuit priest who says, it's not joy that makes us grateful. It's gratitude that makes us joyful. Y'all, that's what we find Mary doing. She's clearly built a habit of praise because as she faces a situation with unknowns, uncertainty, and fear, what does she do? She begins by thanking God. And I love lifting up a habit of praise as a way to get to joy because it's something that we already do. We're here. Each week we gather together to sing songs of literal praise, thanking God for what God has done, thanking God for who God is, for what God will do. And those habits of praise, they make a difference. About a month ago, my husband and I were on the way home from an event, and through a, a series of unfortunate circumstances, we ended up in a little bit of a car accident. Everyone was fine. There was no injuries, Every, everything was, was okay, no one was hurt, but we had some banged up cars, including mine. And so we did what everyone has to do. We got it towed, it was given to the insurance people, and for a few weeks we waited to hear if our car was worth the amount that it would cost to fix it. This is a very stressful thing to wait on is what I've learned. And so we waited, and we waited. 
then we waited a little bit more. And okay, I have to be honest, it really wasn't that long of a time, but when you're waiting on news like this, it feels really long. And so finally we got the call. And they were gonna fix our car. Which is awesome. But I have to tell you all the weirdest thing that happened in that moment. When I got that call, when I heard that news, the first thought in my head was not, oh, I need to tell my husband. It was not the relief that I don't have to buy a new car. It was not even to freak out over how razor thin that margin was. It was the words to a song. A song that you might find familiar. It goes something like, thank you, Jesus. Just as I am, I come. Hallelujah. Oh, what amazing love. So first, thank you to Grace for picking that song that we sing every week because it's really left a mark on me. So thank you. <laughs> and second, this moment didn't happen. This wasn't my first thought because I'm a pastor or because I have a seminary degree. It happened because we have built a habit of praise together. That as we've gathered each week and we've sang out, thank you, Jesus, those habits have been forming. And what would happen if we took up Mary's example and we let those moments overflow? That we wouldn't just find moments to say, thank you, Jesus, and hear. We would be looking for them. That everything that came across our path could be a way that we could look for to say like Mary, my soul magnifies the Lord. Or thank you, Jesus. Praise leads to joy time and time again. What happens if we practice it? Mary finds joy by living into a practice of praise. And second, she widens her perspective. So let's look back at our text one last time. And notice how Mary closes her song. She finishes these verses by saying, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. Mary begins her song of praise, of thanksgiving, of joy, by thanking God specifically for what God is doing in her life. But that's not all that she sees. She looks at her life not from an earthly perspective, but a heavenly one. As she closes her song, she uses the words that God gave to Abraham. That covenant promise all the way back in Genesis that will become the cornerstone of the Israelite people. The promise that sustained them through Isaac and Rebecca, through Rachel and Jacob, all the way down. But she doesn't stop there. Mary uses those words of promise, but she also uses the words of Miriam in Exodus 15 as the Israelites walk out of slavery from Egypt into what will become the promised land. But she doesn't stop there. She uses the words of Hannah's song of praise 
when she's overjoyed at her son that God has given her, that will become the prophet Samuel. But she doesn't stop there. She uses the words that she would have sung in the temple each and every week through the Psalms. Mary finds joy in this situation. It becomes a get-to for her, not just because she praises, but because she sees herself not as a witness to God's story, but as a participant in it. And that's where she finds joy. She finds it in her praise. She finds it in her perspective. By looking at her life not as a single moment of joy, but as a part of the story of joy that God has been writing from the beginning. And as we think about how we are invited into that same story, it's not unlike a pane of stained glass. We have a lot of really beautiful stained glass here at White's Chapel. And I wonder if you've ever taken a look at them individually. Not individual pictures, but like individual panes of glass. I'm gonna be honest. When you look at it, it's not that much. If this is our life and we're looking for joy, we see a little bit of it, of light coming through, but we see darkness too. But what happens when we look at the whole picture? When we look at our lives, not from our perspective, but God's? What happens when we live our lives like Mary did, when we see the whole story. We find that we aren't a single story, that we are being written into the story of joy that God has been writing since the beginning, that it comes together and we find joy not just in our praise but in knowing that we are taking part in what God is doing. And it didn't begin with us and it won't end there either. When we look at all of the light coming through, we find that there's more than enough joy to go around. That there is a kind of light that no darkness can overcome. Friends, as we celebrate Christmas, we're reminded that our story is that story. That our joy is not found in the celebrating of this holiday, it's in the living out of Christmas each and every day. It's easy to take stock of the have-tos, to look around and experience the weariness of the world and wonder where is the joy. But it's then that we're reminded of Mary's song, of the habit of praise that we can practice, of the perspective to see ourselves as part of the greatest story of joy. It's then that even all the have-tos in the midst of all of them, we start to see the get-tos. Even in the weariest world, when we take up Mary's song, when we practice a habit of praise, when we look at our lives from God's perspective, we find that we have countless reasons to rejoice. Amen. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we give you thanks. God, we, give, we thank you that you offer us a way to joy. 
that as we celebrate Christmas, we are reminded of all of the gifts that Christmas means to us. God, we thank you for the hope, for the joy, for the peace, and for the love. God, we thank you that you are a God who calls us into joy, who gives us reason after reason to rejoice, even when it seems like there are so many more have-tos than get-tos. God, we ask you would open up our, our eyes to see reasons to say thank you all around us. God, that you empower us to find that joy even in the midst of a weary world. As we take stock of our own lives, we wouldn't see that we are a single story, but part of yours. God, we thank you for that opportunity. We thank you for what you did in the life of Mary, that it was a blessing to her and a blessing to us. God, we thank you that you are worthy to be praised. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss new releases. We'll have new podcasts coming out all the time. Be sure to check us out online at whiteschapelumc.com. Please download the WC Life app and follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things WC.